Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When I was a kid... This was such a beautiful song. It took America by storm. The world, actually. Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory living in perfect harmony. I know it sounds naive. It sounds very simplistic. But it was beautiful. And back then, at least, it was uh, a lot more true than it is today. this and they also say in the song people are the same wherever you go there is good and bad in everyone made perfect sense to me as a kid in 1982 but that's not the case anymore no there is a good group and a bad group and right now white people are at the bottom of the heap for all the terrible things they've done over the years White people are very superior at their privilege and utilizing it. All white people benefit from white privilege. White privilege filters in, well, it stems from white supremacy. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. You know, it's just a hypocrisy and white supremacy in America and in the world that would show us portraits of a, a pasty white Jesus. To be white in so many ways is to be raised, to be functionally illiterate on the topic of race. It's laughable, but not really anymore, because these ridiculous views are becoming more and more prevalent from white people, people of color, everybody on the left. And even in the middle, they're saying this stuff and they're going along with it. White people are the oppressors and black and brown people. They're both very beautiful. They're cooler than white people and they're victims. But it specifically is hitting black and brown communities quite hard. And the present day manifestations of their work can still be seen in black and brown communities like the one I go home to. Which critics say would unfairly impact black and brown communities. It is about um, black and brown communities. I think activists would say helped especially black and brown people. Powerful entities have less regard for the lives of black people, for the lives of brown people, for the lives of poor people, and for the lives of those who are less educated because these people lack political power. 
Now, why are we hearing so much of this? Uh, there's a lot going on culturally, but a big factor is Trump. He did better with people of color than any Republican in history, and that scared the hell out of the Democrats. A little snapshot of what's going on here in America. How about overseas in England, the G7 and uh, the fake news? They are just totally delighted that the world leaders do not have to put up with Donald Trump anymore. President Biden brings traditional American diplomacy back to the world stage. Why other G7 leaders are describing him as a breath of fresh air as he seeks to reset relations with America's closest allies. You know why they're really uh, happy that Donald Trump is no longer there? Because this guy they can roll. This guy they can take advantage of. He doesn't know anything about negotiations. He doesn't know anything about anything. He knows how to raise money and do favors and ask for favors. That's it. That's it. Take a look at Donald Trump when he was at the G7. Did this guy look like somebody who was defending our interests and sticking up for us? Yes, and that's what you want out of a leader, out of an American leader. This is kind of sad. The breath of fresh air they were talking about, that's uh, 78, 79-year-old Joe Biden. And he looked every bit his age today as he um, seemed to get lost in the cafeteria. How are your meetings going in Cornwall, Mr. President? I beg your pardon? How are your meetings going here in Cornwall? Very well. Hello, come on. Really nice evening. Nice evening. They always do. Did that look presidential? That looked pretty sad. Why was Jill rushing him out of there? They said Donald Trump wasn't presidential. He was, by the way, but I don't know. Those white sneakers are not helping Joe. What a weird setting. What a weird guy. All right, but it was uh, down to business. All right, they all sit at a table and uh, talk about the world. Is this why it's such a breath of fresh air? They're all talking like a bunch of woke weirdos. We're building back better together and, and building back greener and building back fairer and building back more equal and uh, how shall I, more, in, in, in a more gender neutral and perhaps like a more feminine way. How about that? Apart from anything else. So uh, those are some of the objectives. What happened to Boris? Huh? If he said that in front of Trump, he would have laughed and ah, crazy Boris. What did you just say? I don't think he would have tried that in front of uh, a President Trump. Anyway, gender neutral, do we want that? Back here in America, they really want that in Loudoun County. Have you heard about this? His name is Tanner Cross, a gym teacher. Guess what? He's a man of faith. Guess what? He's a man of science, and he doesn't think that boys should be called girls and girls should be called boys, and he's got a lot of uh, questions when it comes to transgender. He thinks it's being pushed a little bit too aggressively. He got up and he said so, and he said he's going to use appropriate pronouns. He's going to use boy, he for a boy, and he's going to use her and she for a girl. Sounds reasonable, right? They fired him. They actually suspended him and tried to fire him. Uh, he got his job back. He's back on the job, and we think that's terrific. A judge said, hold the phone. This can't happen. This has all gone down very recently. The superintendent down there in Loudoun County is disappointed that this guy is back on the job and gave his thoughts on uh, matters gender today on MSNBC. 
our transgender students are out there and they want to be affirmed and welcomed in our school as well. And a lot of times they're scared to come forward because they're still um, closeted or still transitioning. And so we want to respect their privacy, but their parents are coming. And, uh, you know, we know that there are parents who have said, if my child's teacher refuses to use their preferred pronouns, I don't want my child being taught by that by that teacher. So, you know, there's a lot involved in this. Um, and again, we just put put it back on the students and doing what's best for students in every way that we can. Yes, there is a lot involved in this uh, politically correct games. So a young girl doesn't want to be called a girl. She wants her own pronoun. It's ridiculous, and you can't force a person to engage in that. You can't force a teacher to go along with this far-left woke language. You can't do it. That's what a judge has ruled so far. The greatest critic of this, by the way, this compelled speech, is Jordan Peterson. Have you heard of him? He's fantastic. He's a professor from the University of Toronto. He's become very famous over the past few years because he's, he's so smart and he's so brave. They tried to compel him to use these gender neutral pronouns, whatever, and he refused. It caused a huge stir up there in Canada and actually across the world. What's happened there is the government has introduced compelled speech legislation into the private sphere. It's never happened in the history of English common law. And so I said, there's no way I'm abiding by that. I don't care what your damn rationale is. We're compassionate. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're playing this radical collectivist left-wing game. You're trying to gain linguistic, you're trying to gain linguistic supremacy in the, in the area of public discourse. You're doing that using compassion as a guise and you're pulling the wool over people's eyes and you're not going to do it with me. That's what that superintendent was trying to say. We want students to feel good, so we're going to compel this kind of language. Jordan Peterson. You know what I like about this moment right now, as bad as it is, we're becoming acquainted with brilliant guys like this, and we're finding that regular people are brilliant and talented as well. They'll just stand up and speak from the heart. Back there in, um, this is in Florida, a woman spoke up against this critical race theory. Her name is Keisha King. We're going to meet her a little bit later in the show. And she just spoke so much truth, more truth than a decade's worth of fake news. Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory, where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. That is not teaching the truth, unless you believe that whites are better than blacks. CRT is not racial sensitivity or simply teaching unfavorable American history or teaching Jim Crow history. CRT is deeper and more dangerous than that. CRT and its outworking today is a teaching that there is a hierarchy in society where white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied people are deemed the oppressor and anyone else outside of that uh, status is oppressed. That's why we see corporations like Coca-Cola asking their employees to be less white, which is ridiculous. I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed stat, uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. Our ancestors, white, black, and others, hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America towards that more perfect union. 
If this continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate and that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. A lot of crazy, sad stuff going on, but we're also meeting some heroes. And some wonderful things are happening as well. We'll meet Keisha King a little bit later in the show, and I'll be right back. Big news from the app world. The Newsmax TV app has been downloaded more than 5 million times since Election Day. It's one of the most popular apps on both iPhones and Android devices. Plus, it's free. So go to your app store now and you'll get easy access to Newsmax.com for top news. Plus, you can watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. And remember to sign up for app notifications so you never miss a breaking news alert from Newsmax. Download the free app now. Takes just seconds. Newsmax TV. Watch us anytime, anywhere. All I can say... Is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? I got the voice. The hands are hard. All right. Kamala Harris, um, we're perplexed by her. The Biden administration is perplexed by her. America is perplexed by her, and they don't really like her very much. This whole thing about the border, why doesn't she just go to Texas and get it over with? But everyone's asking her about when is she going to the border? And she can't handle the question. This happened on uh, Univision. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems of the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. And that is the root causes. Ooh. I'm not finished when the eyes get like that. That was uh, Ilya Calderon uh, from Colombia. Great job on her part. All right. I want to show you something. The fake news actually wasn't so fake. I want to give them credit when they do something pretty good. Actually great. Let's start with the pits. Wallace, Chris Wallace. Remember him? Remember that sham of a debate that he ran? He didn't ask any questions uh, about Hunter Biden's issues, didn't ask anything about Ukraine, didn't ask anything about Tara Reid, a woman who made a credible allegation against Joe Biden of uh, sexual assault. She did. It's there. And he wouldn't do it. None of the moderators did it. Well, here in New York City, we've got a mayor's race going on right now. And there's one guy who's been accused. Hey, just because he's accused doesn't necessarily mean guilty or anything like that, but it's there. It's from 30 years ago, one of the accusations, another about 20 years ago. And at least here in New York, for a moment, the fake news was not afraid to ask a Democrat a tough question about this kind of stuff. One of your accusers says that years ago you took her bar to bar and groped her when she was 18. Another accuser says you were drinking when you groped her without her permission. You yourself told the New York Times that in that period in the 90s was, quote, a bit of a mess for you. What exactly did that mean? And if the allegations are true, should be, you be held accountable for your actions? Just a remarkable contrast between uh, how they treated Joe Biden and what they're doing here in New York. That's uh, Scott Stringer, fine guy who knows about these things. And uh, actually, let's hear his response. Well, the allegations are not true, and 
their allegations that go back 20 and 30 years. I've done my best to answer every question. I'll continue to do it tonight. But I'm glad you brought up the best part because I was misquoted and then requoted accurately. Uh, the mess I was talking about was the bar business, not in any way diminishing. But it uh, seems like you were going from bar to bar and there was drinking involved. And the question is, did that impair 30, your ability? 30 years ago, I cannot tell you exactly where uh, those allegations come from. But I can tell you, and I mean this, if there's in any way I've made anyone in my entire life uh, uncomfortable, I certainly apologize for that. All right, there was some follow-up there. I like that. We'll see what happens in the mayor's race. Oh, there is one thing that I want to point out. It looks like the front runner is falling fast. His name is Eric Adams, and he's the Brooklyn Borough president. But here's the deal. Very credible reports have emerged that he doesn't live in Brooklyn. He lives in New Jersey. So he brought reporters over to this uh, crazy apartment, basement apartment, that he says he lives in in Brooklyn. And uh, it looks more like it's a storage bin. He's trying to show everybody, yeah, I live here, I live here, but nobody's really buying it. It looks like he lives in New Jersey. Here's one moment, actually. He talks about how much TV he watches and video games. Look at this entertainment center. That monitor looks like it's, uh, what, 20 years old? All that junk, those wires. We all have a drawer like that or a shelf like that where you leave your old electronics, cell phones, that kind of thing. Doesn't look like Eric Adams lives there. Very strange city we have. Uh, this guy, front runner for mayor, and uh, talks about where he likes to go on vacation. It got even weirder. Tracy and I travel a lot. And uh, when Jordan graduated from college, we went on a 21-day father-dad trip to uh, France, China, uh, Turkey, Sri Lanka, and uh, I'm probably missing some of them. We took no. the Turkish bath. Yeah, uh, man, that was good. <laughs> I mentioned to stop. Well, he couldn't think of all the countries he went to uh, as he was working his way east to Southeast Asia. And then he mentioned uh, all the Turkish baths he went to with his uh, son. I don't know. I don't know. All right, folks, one other thing we want to talk about. Uh, CBS, The Morning Show, Gail King and the two Tonys. TV news is like this. When other people are having a horrible, horrible time, they seem to be having a grand time. They have this little summary of the world, your world in 90 seconds, with jazzy, fun music. Listen to the carnage that's being described, and then the music at the same time they're playing. Doesn't seem to go together, to me. But first, here's today's eye-opener, It's Your World, in 90 seconds. Three people are dead, including a toddler following a shooting inside of Publix in Florida. Everyone started coming out, yelling, active shooter, uh, shots fired, get out. Pennsylvania police are looking for a man in connection with explosions at his townhouse that led to a massive fire. All that? People dead at the big fire. Bringing you the news. Very silly. I never liked that. Never liked that. And now this. Black lives do matter. Not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says they only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No. All lives matter. Black lives matter. They do matter, including the life of 14-year-old Tyrese Taylor, shot and killed in the middle of the day 
on Thursday, yesterday in Lawndale, Chicago. Happened just a few feet from a U-Haul van his family was loading as they prepared to move out to the suburbs. They were fleeing deadly violence for a safer neighborhood, specifically to keep Taylor out of harm's way. Witnesses say a white car drove up and someone inside the vehicle opened fire. Taylor was shot several times. There are no leads in this case right now. Taylor is the third teenager gunned down this week in Chicago. Tyrese Taylor, just 14 years old. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Well, it makes sense. Once they cross into Texas from Mexico, where do they go? They go onto people's private property and cause a lot of damage. This is totally unfair to Americans, to Texans in particular. Governor Abbott down there is acutely aware of the situation and wants to do a lot for it. A border crisis is plaguing the farmers, the ranchers, the residents of the entire border region. Fences are being mowed down. You have livestock and crops that are being destroyed. You have homes that are being invaded in neighborhoods that simply are not as safe as they used to be. The task force that I talked about earlier, the governor's task force about the border, will work with landowners to seek recovery from the federal government for the damages that were caused by the federal government. Damages on people's private property in Artesia Wells. That's 50 miles from the border. There's a ranch there, and uh, the ranching family, Stephanie Chris Canales, joins us. She's had a big problem with people going through her property and doing all kinds of things. Uh, Stephanie, welcome to Newsmax First. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Give us an idea what it's been like. This is uh, a crisis we know, even though the Biden administration uh, denies that. What's it been like for you on your property? It's um, It's been like nothing we have ever seen before. We have so many people, illegals, coming onto our property. They're leaving their items behind. Um, we have bailouts almost daily. Um, you know, one of our neighbors had five bailouts on their property in one day. Um, we've never seen this before, ever. I'm sorry, but what's a bailout? Um, a bailout is when a vehicle that's full of illegal aliens um, is being chased by the law enforcement. They will uh, go off the, the main road onto our property and they go over, they go through our fences, um, they bust through our gates. Um, and inevitably, they, you know, they will come to a stop um, either by choice or they wreck and everybody in the vehicle will bail out and make a run for it to try to evade being captured. Now, some of these folks, undoubtedly, there's a criminal element uh, with some of these people coming in. We've got drug traffickers, human traffickers. How about you and your family in terms of safety? That's got to be a major concern. Oh, it is. We do, we do not leave our home without a gun on us. My husband or I um, or my, my girls, I have two teenage daughters, and we, we do not leave the house uh, without protection. Right now, the Biden administration, they uh, they almost refuse at a high level to go see the border. Kamala Harris, as you know, went to Guatemala and uh, she just doesn't want to talk about the border close to you. She wants to talk about the Guatemala border, it seems. Watch this. We are focused on addressing both the acute factors and the root causes of migration. The president and I also discussed the root causes of migration. When I'm in Guatemala... <laughs> 
dealing with root causes. I think we should have a conversation about what's going on in Guatemala. You can't say you care about the border without caring about the root causes. I'm in Guatemala because my focus is dealing with the root causes of migration. If we care about what's happening at the border, we better care about the root causes. We have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. And that is the root causes. Um, the root causes might take a century to fix. <laughs> the, the result of the root causes uh, is trash and vehicles and a bunch of weirdos going through your property. Uh, so my heart goes out to you. What, what is your reaction when you hear the vice president speak like that? It's extremely frustrating. Myself, um, all of our neighbors, it's, we're extremely frustrated. But um, we are so thankful that Governor Abbott has um, been doing what he has been doing. Our area is being flooded with uh, state troopers, and that has really, really helped our situation. It hasn't stopped anything, but when we call for help, um, there's somebody here within just a few minutes. So we are very appreciative of that. That is terrific. And Governor Abbott is uh, intent on finishing the wall that President Trump started. Take a look at this. I will announce next week the plan for the state of Texas to begin building the border wall in the state of Texas. All right. Sounds good. Um, Sounds very good. Hey, do me a favor. I'm a city slicker. So uh, ranching life is, uh, you know, not one I'm familiar with. What does it mean when you're a rancher? What do you do? What does that mean? Well, our, our ranch is a cattle ranch. So we raise uh, cattle. That's what we do. Very it's good. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> have, have any of these folks been messing with your, uh, with your cattle, with your cows? Luckily, no. The, the bailouts that have come through our property, um, they have not hurt any of our cattle. Some of our neighbors um, have not been so lucky, though, um, but we have. All right. How many uh, acres do you have? A few thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That is so wild. Well, Stephanie, Chris, Canales, uh, sounds like help is on the way, and uh, we appreciate you sharing uh, your experiences. Our best to the family, okay? Thank you. You bet. You bet. We'll be right back. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. I'm so relieved that there is a massive pushback against critical race theory. You've heard about that by now, this corrupt theory that says America is fundamentally a bad place, a racist place because of... Some mistakes in our past, slavery and that kind of thing, it infected everything else. Well, there are some heroes who are stepping up and pushing back, and they're winning. We've been meeting them. These, a lot of times, are just moms uh, with passion, passion for their children and passion for their country. We talked to uh, Tatiana on the upper left there, and we're about to meet Keisha King on the lower left. Here's a sample of what she did this week in Florida. I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed stat, uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. Our ancestors, white, black, and others, hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America towards that more perfect union. 
If this continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate and that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Keisha King was on fire and uh, she helped win. No more critical race theory in Florida. Keisha King joins us from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Keisha, well done. How are you? I am well, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. You bet. So I understand you're a mother of two. Could you give us an idea of uh, your exposure through them, this critical race theory and how it's affecting your kids? Yes. So um, it, my, my oldest daughter, her first week of school, she was asked to what pronoun she wanted to go by. And that was like a big red flag to me because she's not, you know, she's just a kid, you know, she's not paying attention to that kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, I need to really pay attention to what they're going to be teaching. So she had actually recorded a, um, a lesson in, in class. And that let me know that critical race theory was in full force. And so I, yeah, I've been learning about it for a long time, and I knew that um, I had to speak up about it. Well, we're glad you did, um, and it looked like you had some support there. But not everybody is on board, or some people are on board with critical race theory, even in your community. Has there been friction between you and some of the other parents, perhaps, and the school board? Um, not directly um, towards me, but certainly um, – they try to make it sound like that critical race theory is not really being taught in schools. Well, no, they don't have a book called Critical Race Theory that, you, that they tell the kids to open up. But what they do is they weave it into uh, lessons and, and the, the what they're already teaching. So I haven't had it directly, but they are totally pushing this in, in classes. But they try to use the excuse that it's not really being taught in schools. So it looks like you just uh, jotted down some thoughts, maybe into your phone, and uh, you delivered it with such passion. And I love you and others like you who are just speaking out from the heart. Um, what's next? If this is a big victory. Uh, did you know you had this in you? I don't know if I could pull that off in front of a, I don't know, a school board meeting. And you just you just did so well. Thank you so much. I think when you poke mama bears with our babies, that is the point where we're like, no way. And so if we're going to fight for anything, we must certainly stand up and fight for our most precious resources, our children. And this is the time because these they are they're just doing too much. It's too much, too much, too far. Hey, I want to get you on something else because uh, we went to your Facebook page and uh, your other social media. And I understand you are really upset about a double standard between the Trumps and the Bidens. Hunter Biden, as you know, has been using the N-word rather liberally. Granted, they were in private text messages to his lawyer, but we all know about it. And uh, the liberal press does not seem to care one bit. What are your thoughts? I think it's an absolute hypocrisy. Um, we all know that if Don Jr. said anything remotely close to what Hunter has been saying or has been found to have said, um, there would be a full out press corps. There would probably be another impeachment uh, somehow tied to the president. I mean, God only knows. But it's just let's just be honest. Let's just hold everyone to the same standard. I don't think that that's too hard to ask. Keisha, you're the best. Thank you so much. I'll take care. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. You bet. So people love to wear uh, slogans and expressions on their masks. I've seen a million Black Lives Matter masks. 
They're very popular with some folks. How about this? I'm speaking. It's something that Kamala Harris said during the vice presidential debate. People like that. Uh, here's another mask with a beautiful message. Jesus loves me. What could be wrong with that? Well, for the administrators of a certain elementary school in Mississippi, it was a big problem. That is Lydia Booth. She is a third grader, and back in October, she was sent to the principal's office when she was wearing this mask. They told her to take it off, saying that it violates school policy. Well, this has become a major deal right now. I think that sounds pretty unfair to me, but let's get into it with Lydia Booth. She is the third grader, along with her mom, Jennifer Booth. Welcome to you both. And we also have your lawyer, uh, Tyson Langhofer, uh, senior counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom. Welcome to you all. Uh, nice Thank to see you. you. Thank you. So, Lydia, Thank first you. to you. Nice to see oh, absolutely. You absolutely. Thanks for being here. Lydia, tell us a little bit about uh, what happened to you. Well, um, this mask I had said, Jesus loves me. And in the beginning of school, nobody said anything about it. Well, later on, um, the computer teacher said I couldn't wear that type of mask. Well, after my mama said that it was not an uh, actual policy, um, she said that, um, well, um, the day, the next day, um, well, the principal walked in my room, winked at me, said my name, went to go tell my teacher something. After that, the the assistant teacher said for me to put on the Southern mask so nobody would say anything um, or lead any more trouble happening. Trouble happening. And again, the mask says, uh, Jesus loves me, which is uh, a beautiful message. I don't know how anyone could have a problem with it. Now, let's put this statement up, though, from the school. They said that their uh, their policy prohibits political, religious, sexual, or any inappropriate symbols, gestures, or statements that may be offensive, disruptive, or deemed distracted to the school environment. Now, this is certainly religious, but uh, I am curious, I guess, did you notice anyone else wearing masks with any kind of message, and were they treated like you? Lydia? Um, no, sir. So, Jennifer, if you don't mind, I, I'm hearing that other people were wearing any kind of mask and it was OK. Black Lives yeah. Matter, Kamala Harris, Biden, uh, whatever you want. But they singled yeah. her out. Is that is that how it went down? Yes, sir. Um, our son goes to high school and he said that, I mean, pretty much whatever mask you could think of uh, politically. Um, and she even seen, you know, T-shirts on the bus. Um sports logos and name, I mean, whatever, you know, so it just, this whole thing comes as a shock. So uh, you have a lawyer now and you have a lot of support. Yeah. A lot of letters have been coming in. Tyson Langhofer, I'm sure you've seen the documents. You've seen their statement. Tell us what this is, uh, what this is about. Do they have a case here or do you? No, you know, it's it's really clear. Elementary school students don't forfeit their religious freedom when they walk into the school. And what happened here was that the school targeted Lydia's speech, her mask, because it was religious. Um, and that's a clear violation of the First Amendment. Public school teachers have no business censoring students who just want to simply share their deeply held religious beliefs, but allowing others to express different messages. 
Now, it does say, according to this, was this policy or not, the school statement that they prohibited political, religious, sexual, or, you know, on and on and on, anything deemed disruptive? Did they have that well, official policy? Yeah, the, here's the problem. They didn't have that policy until after Jennifer called them on that. They actually made that up after the fact in order to justify them making Lydia take that off. But even if it was the policy, the problem is you cannot, the government cannot discriminate against certain viewpoints. They lumped religious speech into inappropriate speech and along with inappropriate speech or political speech. And they can't target that type of speech, but allow other speech such as Black Lives Matter or such as sports logos and things like that. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me what you're saying right there. That is, this is, this is, hey, this is why we're in America, right? This is why we set up the country for moments like this. So, um, Jennifer, uh, you're, uh, well, what happens next? We filed a lawsuit or have, has it actually, ha it's still pending, my understanding. So what happens next? Um, we're just kind of waiting for them to, uh, either agree with us or uh, I guess we're going to go to the court. Um, they're not wanting to own up to what's happened. In the meantime, Lydia, uh, I guess you can't wear this mask anymore, or are you? Well, um, I can still wear it now. Yeah, now she can. All right. After we filed a lawsuit, they agreed to allow her to, to wear the mask, but they haven't agreed that what they did was they violated her rights when they removed that mask the yeah. first time. I mean, if they try this, I mean, they could say you can't wear a cross around your neck. I mean, they could really go to um, this is this is crazy. What's your favorite subject, Lydia? Um, reading. OK, well, listen, good luck with school. Um, and you're, you look, uh, what do you uh, I'm going to have to leave it at that. Sorry, they're yelling at me. We got to wrap it up. But you guys are great. Come back anytime. Lydia, Jennifer and uh, Tyson, all the best and keep us posted. OK. Yes. Thank, you. thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. You bet. You bet. You deserve this. I, I, I admire you very, very much for what you're doing. Keep it up. We're on your side. Grant Stinchfield is standing by. Uh, Grant, sometimes it's awkward with three different people, but boy, I like that girl a lot and her mom and what a great lawyer Chris, too. How do I follow your show? You got the most amazing guest today. I, I'm sitting here watching and I don't even want to leave. Uh, this is great. Um, look, I'll give you a quick tease to the show. I'm, I'm going I'm to do something for President Trump. We have a shortage now in America of conspiracy theories, Greg. You know why? Because all of them are now coming true. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about that on the show tonight. That's true. Right. <laughs> They've all they're no longer. I love it. I love it. You're going to have a great show, too. Grant, have a good one. And we'll be right back. are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers that can turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. Um, we were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroy anything that is not communist. That was G. Van Fleet, a mother in Loudoun County, Virginia, speaking about the Cultural Revolution. We should all know more about that. Uh, when Mao Zedong was in power, he <laughs> revamped all of society in the most ugly way imaginable. People were 
asking for forgiveness for things they didn't do, public shaming, cancel culture. That was all part of the cultural revolution. And it seems to be happening here. I'd like to bring in the historians. We have Doug Weed, former advisor to President George H.W. Bush, and Craig Shirley, presidential historian, Reagan biographer. Craig, first to you this week. The woman uh, was remarkable, and the cultural revolution comparison seems very, very apt. Absolutely. And she would know what she's talking about. But the Cultural Revolution is being glossed over a little bit. A lot of up to 20 million people were killed in the, in the Cultural Revolution. There was mass cannibalism. Uh, he sicked uh, Mao Zedong, sicked young people on the culture and on society and on uh, statues and anything that smacked of the past in order to revamp and remake uh, the, the new communist China. Uh, in, in his image. This dangerous precedent is happened in the Soviet Union with uh, Stalin's purchase in which he killed 36 million people in his, in his forced collectivization farms, just as Mao did. And just as we're seeing now the beginnings now of a of an American cultural revolution starting right now in the United States, Greg. Wow. No, it's uh, it's amazing and scary. What was the motivation, though, Doug? What was Mao thinking back then? Uh, why, why engage? I know why it's happening here, but why there? You know, uh, I've studied this a long time, Greg, and I think he was led along uh, that uh, he used it. Uh, I don't know that he originally provoked it, but he used it to his political advantage to get rid of political rivals and he stoked it and stayed on the right side of it. We've seen this type of extremism all through history at different points. I'm right, you're wrong, therefore I'm going to kill you. And it evolves into something terrible. We see it in religion, in every religion, in the Christian religion, in the Middle Ages, uh, the trial of Michael Servitas, who was slow roasted by John Calvin's uh, tribunal in Geneva because of a doctrinal difference over the Trinity. So that's what happens. And we the seeds of that are here, and I'm afraid it's pretty far along. The only difference is in China, they would dig up the grave of someone they wanted to shame, and they would desecrate their corpse. That gives you an idea. Wow. I did not know that. Um, and something else that's happening here, though, I know we have a lot of people scared, a lot of people keeping their head down, afraid of being labeled uh, racist or not woke or canceled themselves. But we have a lot of people, especially those moms like uh, that woman we saw a moment ago, standing up and pushing back. And they're doing it publicly and they're doing it powerfully and they're doing it from the heart, Craig. Yeah, I, and they're doing it, and they're, and they're pushing back, and that's good, and that's important. But, uh, Greg, I think what's happening is is that, you know, very few, uh, as Doug will know, Doug knows, very few republics actually s survived the third century. Uh, Greek, Roman, uh, the French Republic, uh, the British Republic, after the uh, rise of Oliver Cromwell, uh, is that, and I'm not sure that America is special enough to survive its third century. We may be witnessing the breakup the, of the United States and, and the breakup of between their land, whatever they want, the desecration they want, the wackiness they want, and our land, which is going to be of sane, normal people. Uh, we may be witnessing uh, the eventual breakup of the United States. Well, wait a second. We don't want, we're not giving up. We got to. <laughs>
We got to fight for this country. We want to keep it together. And, uh, you know, I, 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 agree with that. I agree with that sentiment, but I think it's a, it's eventuality. Sometime this century, it's going to happen. All right. Well, Craig, um, Doug, we only have a couple of seconds left. Doug, look, 1970, uh, you know, fire bombings, hijackings. People were high, you know, th this country was in chaos and we got through that. I think we're going to get through this. Doug, you get the final word. Yes, I think we will. I think Craig will agree with me, too, that usually uh, these revolutions self-implode. They turn on themselves. They cannibalize. They they start out saying, you're not good enough, and then they turn on each other. Oops, you're not good enough either. And that's when it falls apart. That's our best hope, is that they will turn on each other. All right. Well, listen, I'm not giving up. I know you're not giving up. Craig, <laughs> Come on, hang in there, man. This is going to be great. It's a great country. You got a thousand years left. I'll be right back, gentlemen. You're the best. Thank you. Side by side on my piano. These guys had it right. Ebony and Ivory from '82. I remember this song. It was banned in South Africa during apartheid. Can you believe it? A lot of wisdom in this song. I'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Stand by for Stinchfield.